Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, luckiest man in the world. If you're joining us by audio or video podcast, or if you are in cafe this morning, welcome to you guys as well. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Going to do something a little bit different in teaching time today. I want us to talk about a very, very sensitive issue for us in our society these days. I want to talk about transgenderism. Talk about transgenderism. Understand that uh, I'm not talking about a topic today or an issue. I'm talking about people. Understand that first. Suffering people. Uh, a transgender person is a person who tells us that their experience of their gender doesn't match with their biological sex. So I'm not talking about homosexuality today. They're not the same thing. So understand that. First of all, it's not the same. And that's not what I'm talking about today. Transgenderism. How did we get here? How in the world did we get to the place where in Woodburn, y'all know where Woodburn is. We are a church in the middle of a cornfield. How did we get to the place where this becomes a live issue for a church, a live issue for a church like Woodburn. How in the world did we get here? I'll tell you, I'm a 53-year-old man, and for the most part, I don't feel like I've had a lot of exposure to transgenderism, to cross-dressing, to any of these things. Uh, I look back over my life, and, and so many of these are, are, are very, very unfamiliar sort of ideas for me. But then I start thinking back over my life, and, and I remember this. Help me, Margie. I, I remember this. These strange moments in Bugs Bunny. Anybody grow up with Bugs Bunny like I did? Do, you, do y'all remember this? Like this particular episode, but like it seemed like once every three or four weeks, Bugs Bunny would dress up like a girl bunny. And like once, I think it's that, remember that opera episode where he's like, kill the rabbit, you know, north winds blow, south winds blow. You remember that? And in that one, didn't he end up marrying Elmer Fudd at the end of that? And as a kid, did you ever just think, what? what? I, mean, I mean, you know, actually, as a kid, I didn't think anything. I, I didn't. Uh, Bugs Bunny just did this every few episodes. And, and interestingly, they've interviewed Chuck Jones uh, in the last few years. Chuck Jones, who was the creator of Bugs Bunny, one of the cartoonists for Looney Tunes back in the day. They've gone back and asked Chuck Jones about this. You know, what, what were you doing? Was there an agenda? Were you trying to plant ideas? Were you trying to say something? What do you think Chuck Jones said? He said, no. None of us knew anything about any of that stuff. We just thought it was funny. We just thought it was funny. And it was funny. Back in the day when, back in our grandparents' day, when Milton Burrow would dress up like the ugliest woman ever. I mean, people just thought that that was funny. But it's not funny anymore. We're not laughing anymore. Perhaps since Caitlyn Jenner uh, became uh, a celebrity again in 2015, it's, it's just not funny anymore. This has become a very, very volatile, explosive cultural issue, and it has moved very quickly through our culture. Very, very quickly. And the church has not kept up. Everybody's talking about transgenderism and transgender issues, but, but the church has not been talking and it's a really serious problem. Let me first off just help you with this basic principle. Help me, Margie. Help me get there to my first word slide. When the church doesn't speak, the world assumes we have nothing to say. 
And, and that's, the, that's, the, that, that's the devastating consequence of, the, of a church who remains silent on, on, on this sort of thing. If we don't say anything, the world assumes that we have nothing to say. And, and we have something to say. And we really can't afford to be silent anymore. In this particular service, we've sent the youngest of our children out of the room. But but in some ways, we're naive in thinking that they don't already have quite a lot of exposure to, to this sort of thing. We're sort of kidding ourselves. In some ways, our students are way ahead of us in thinking these things through. Because there's simply no way to pretend that this is not a, a, a giant cultural topic of conversation. We just don't talk about it at church. We need to talk about it at church. We, we, we really do need to talk. So let's talk. Um, one of the difficulties today for you and for me is that for a lot of us, and a lot of you in this room, a lot of you in the sound of my voice, the only conversation you've heard about this sort of thing is on television or, or talk radio. So you've only heard politicians or talk radio uh, figures or social activists talk about uh, transgender people and their struggle. And I'm not going to sound like any of those people today because that's not who I am. I, I am not a talk radio host. I am not a social activist. I'm a pastor. I'm your pastor. So when I speak, it's different. I, I am not able just to you know, be somewhere in a television studio or behind a microphone and talk about issues and talk about politics I deal with people, I deal with you, and I love you. I deal with your children, I, I deal with your families. And when this sermon is over, I'll still be dealing with you and your families and your children. So, so understand that. That makes my responsibility different, and, and it makes the way I approach this different. I, I deal with people, I, I talk to people, I, I talk to you. And I know that this is a live issue in the life of our congregation. So, so before any of us get too far in, 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 in our conversation, let's just acknowledge the fact that this is real and it's in our families. It's, it's something that we face. is isn't an issue. This is people. So when I speak today, I recognize I'm, I'm a Christian pastor, which means that, that, that Christ is my authority. Christ is the one I follow. I don't feel like I have any authority on my own. I'm not speaking on this because I'm any sort of expert. I'm simply speaking as a minister of Christ. And as a minister of Christ, the Word of God, His Word is, is my authority. His Word is, is where I go. The Bible is the only thing I have to preach. But of course, the first thing I have to admit is the Bible just doesn't say very much about transgenderism. I mean, is that news to you? I mean, go to the concordance and look under T. You know, it ain't there. You know, I mean, you don't find transgenderism. And then we go look at all the verses that deal with transgenderism. It's just not there. It's, it's not something that the Bible addresses directly. Y'all with me? This is the quietest room I've ever, <laughs> ever preached in. Are y'all okay? Can we do this? Are we okay? Everybody take a deep breath. Okay. There aren't any verses that, that say transgender. There, there just aren't. But honestly, when it comes to the Word of God, it, it doesn't address every single topic that we face in our lives. It just doesn't. And, it, and the Bible we have is the Bible God intended us to have, so it's perfect. But in its perfection, it still doesn't necessarily directly mention every, every question that we ask. But in all of those instances when the Bible doesn't necessarily have a direct, clear word, we still have the very same approach. We still go to God's word and we look for principles. 
We look for basic, fundamental, spiritual truth principles that we know come from God's Word that we can apply to the everyday questions that we ask, including questions about things like sexuality and transgenderism. So today, I don't have a passage, I don't have a text that we go to, you know, that's going to say the word transgenderism, but I do think we have a text that gives us two very important principles that help us in thinking this through. Now, I'm not in one sermon going to answer all of your questions. When this is over, you're going to have so many questions, you're going to have so many questions for me. So understand, this is a conversation we can continue. And, and, and if you want to email me... <laughs> Uh, my email address is Warren Weeks at woodburnbaptist.org. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Warren Weeks at woodburnbaptist.org is where you can reach me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, so let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus is in a conversation about marriage and divorce, okay? So like I said, this isn't a passage about transgenderism. Jesus is in a controversy with the Pharisees who've asked him a question about marriage and divorce. But because marriage and divorce begin to approach issues of gender and sexuality, Jesus himself is going to give us some red-letter principles. And I see two. Again, this passage is going to sort of deal with, with, with a, broader, a, a broader issue, but I want us to be able to look for the principles that we can apply. So that's what I'm doing here. So read with me. I'm going to start in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 19. Stay with me. Two principles that we'll find here. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two become one flesh. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. I say that at every wedding. Verse 7. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you that whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife is but unfaithful. Jesus' disciples said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said. Only those to whom God reveals it, only those whom God helps. Verse 12. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose to be eunuchs. Some choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Okay, I know that passage is about marriage and divorce, and we're not talking about marriage and divorce. Okay, so, so come, come back with me. We're looking at this passage because in this passage, we, we see Jesus' own application of truth to a contemporary controversy, which with the Pharisees was about divorce. So we have a contemporary question of our own pertaining to the, the, the questions raised by transgender people. And so we want to do what Jesus does. We want to take biblical principles and then, and then try to apply them. Okay? So the first principle that, that I find is really rather simple. And it's just right there in verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God created us male and female. 
Now, it's somewhat beyond argument here, and this is what Jesus says. It's, it's on the first page of the Bible, it's the book of Genesis, that God created the human family. God created human beings, and he created us in a very particular way. God created us both in his image, but he created us with biological sexual differences. We are male and, and we are female. Sometimes in the political argument today, they call this the binary the binary. In other words, there are two options, male and, and female. God created us this way. Now, for the most part, when a baby is born, his biological parts will reveal with utter certainty whether that child is male or female. With very few exceptions, that's just the case. Babies are born male or, or, or female. There's just no argument here. Now, there are lots and lots of ways in politics that we can begin to discuss this and break this apart, but this is a fundamental principle that Jesus himself applies, so therefore we still apply. God created the human family, male and female. There are biological differences that you just can't dispute. Y'all agree with that much? God created us male and female. Now we're talking about biological sex here, biological sex. And by sex, I don't talk about like what husband and wives do. I'm talking about like on a form when it says sex and then it says M or F, you know, your biological sex, male or, or female. So God created us with differences according to biological sex. And, and that's a physical reality that you just can't change. Either you're male or, or you're female. But now, that brings me to a sort of a, a second issue, and this is what we have to understand with today's question pertaining to transgenderism, and that is the, the issue of gender. Now, there's biological sex, and there's gender, and they're not exactly the same thing. Now, stay with me. They're not exactly the same thing. Biological sex pertains to my physical body, my physical outward reality of having even been born male or, or female. But gender relates to my, my personal inward experience of being either masculine or feminine, male or female. And, and those two things are, are, are related, they're similar, but they're not always the same. So understand that a transgender person is saying that inside, that their experience of gender doesn't match biological sex. So gender has to do with the particular way that a person lives out, expresses, or experiences their maleness or femaleness. Now, I want to I stop right here and just sort of establish something very, very important. And y'all are going to think I'm joking or you think I'm making fun, and I'm not. But I just want you to understand this about gender. God makes a lot of tomboys and sissies whom he loves and blesses every day. I say this as a man who's been a sissy his whole life. I've been a sissy my whole life. When we talk about male and female, sometimes society itself pushes us into these really extreme categories of what a man looks like. And I promise you that really strong definition of what a man looks like in your head is probably not exactly what scripture pictures when it talks about manliness. These things are often cultural. And our cultural idea of what manhood looks like, it, it changes, it shifts. And, and sometimes as a culture, sometimes even as a church, we, we begin to sort of persecute people just if they don't fit our notions of what a girl or a boy is supposed to look like. And I just want to stand up right here and say out loud, it is not a sin to be a sissy. 
It's just not. God makes all kinds of sissies and tomboys, and there's not a sin in that. If you're a boy who just likes, you know, to, to dance ballet or whatever it is you do, understand, there's no sin in that. And if you're a girl who wants to wear sweatpants and you don't like to wear makeup and you like to play baseball and watch sports, there's no sin in that. There's no sin in that. God makes a lot of tomboys and sissies. I'm telling you, I've been a sissy my whole life. Man, I stood out today watching some of you come into church. Teddy Martin, y'all you know Teddy Martin? He's a man. Teddy came rolling into church this morning. Man, his biceps, like, boom. Y'all seen Teddy's arms? When Teddy shakes your hand, it's just the softest handshake. But he does it just so you know he could crush you if he wanted to. (laughs) Am I telling y'all know Teddy? Shake his hand. It's a real delicate handshake, but he just looks at you like, I could kill you. You know, (laughs) boom. Arms like this, y'all. There's Teddy right there. Teddy, I love you, man. Teddy, do this, do this, do it. Yeah, look at that, y'all. Boom. Y'all, look at this. Yeah. You ain't seen an arm like that since Kermit the Frog went off television, have you, man? I got Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Y'all know it's kind of tough to grow up in our culture as a boy who doesn't like sports. I don't like sports. I don't get sports. I've tried to watch sports. I'm missing that hemisphere of the brain. Whatever it is that y'all are interested in, like I'll look at it and eventually I just sort of, my spirit leaves my body and I'm just sort of, but I'm totally not there. Totally not there. When my son played soccer, I faked it Saturday after Saturday. I mean, I'll be sitting there in case we say, did you see that? Did you see that? I'm like, no. I mean, like I'm there. But if it's sports, I forget to watch. Even if I'm looking at it, I just, I'm just not there. I, I don't get any of that. But you know, it's kind of hard to grow up in, in, in Southern American culture if, if, if you don't like sports. Or if you're a girl and you do like sports because girls are supposed to be cheerleaders or something. Or girls are supposed to be all about makeup or Barbie dolls. And, and I just want you to understand that, that as we talk about what might be sin and what is not a sin, it is not a sin to be a tomboy. And it's not a sin to be a sissy. These are cultural things. And cultures shift and cultures change. Even our own culture is changing. In our church, men today aren't exactly what men were 50 years ago. If you were to say that Norm Poppy is not a man, he would clobber you with his purse. Right? Norm Poppy carries a purse. I dare you. I dare you to say something about it. Man, he'll kill you. Do you understand what I'm saying? These things shift. These things change. Man, you go to other cultures, men don't look like, you know, men in France, for example, look like men in the United States. All French men seem kind of sissy to me. Man, I hope Facebook Live doesn't go to France. (laughs) Back off, Henri. Just back off, man. No, you know, like they all have that... Will you say, yeah, whatever, yeah. But you know, they, they don't, they seem kind of swishy to me. I'm just saying that culturally, the definition of what makes a man, what makes a woman, these things aren't necessarily locked in the Bible. 
So be really, really careful when you talk about what makes a godly man and a godly woman, because a godly man, I'm telling you, can, can be very, very different than what you've always described and thought about. A lot of godly men turn out to be sissies, and that's okay. God loves them and blesses them every day. I'm a sissy. It doesn't mean I'm gay. It doesn't mean I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, y'all. You know? I'm just an artist, you know, with skinny arms. Doesn't play ball, you know? I cook every meal in our house, you know? I mean, that's just it. Yeah, I'm a good cook. I'm a sissy. You know, it's just okay. It's just okay. Lots of girls are tomboys. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Do you know why this matters? Because people shouldn't be persecuted because they don't, but because they're sissy or, 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 or effeminate or, or because a girl is kind of a tomboy. Y'all, that's just how God makes people. And I'm not talking about homosexuality. I'm not even talking about transgenderism. I'm just talking about the many, many different ways that we can live out maleness and femaleness. I'm not making this up. You read the Bible? Very important story of two twin brothers. Their names were... Jacob and Esau, do you remember them? Twin brothers as different as night and day. I mean, read the Bible, y'all. Esau was a man's man. The Bible says he was covered with hair, like as a baby. Like he came out like an orange orangutan when he was born. That's what the Bible says. His kid was hairy, like his back was hairy. Like they shaved him in the nursery at the hospital. Like, yeah, you know, this kid was hairy. It's a man's man. In the Bible, Esau hunted. Ate, ate meat raw, you know? He was just that guy. You know, just out killing stuff with his bare hands and uh, had a pickup truck, you know, with like cow parts hanging off the hitch and always had a dip in his mouth. That's just Esau. He was just a rough guy. That was Esau. But now his brother Jacob was a mama's boy. Read it, y'all. He was not rough and hairy. He was pale and thin and stayed in the house. Esau's out there hunting and killing stuff. Jacob's in the house watching Gilmore Girls, y'all, or, or Glee, or, or whatever. This is us. He's watching This Is Us. Yeah. And in Scripture, those two brothers, neither one is either accepted or rejected on the basis of how he lived out his manhood. Understand? It had nothing to do with it. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with what we're talking about today either. We just make it a part of it, and we need to learn to separate that. We need to learn to separate that. Because God still makes a whole lot of tomboys and sissies, and it doesn't mean that they are transgender. It doesn't mean that they're gay. I mean, my goodness, they're just sissies. God loves them. makes a lot of us. He blesses us. He makes us pastors. And artists and whatever else we are, farmers. Some of you sissy farmers, admit it. You got really, really, you know, you're like you, you iron and press your car heart, you know, so you look sharp. God just makes a lot of sissies and tomboys. That, that, that's not what, what we're talking about here. God loves and blesses all kinds of people living out maleness and femaleness, but it still doesn't change the basic principle. God makes us male and female. Maybe a wide range of how you live that out, but it's still male and female. But there's a second principle here, and, and I, I want you all to work hard with me in Scripture so that you can maybe at least grasp the possibility of what I'm pointing at. It's in verse 12. Verse 12. Jesus has been talking about marriage and divorce, and 
Now he's going to talk about people who choose to live um, a, a life of singleness, a life of celibacy is what he's going to talk about. People who might choose to live a life of singleness and celibacy for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. But in doing that, he uses the language that he refers to what in the ancient world was known as a eunuch. You all know what a eunuch is? It's really interesting. You should do some research on eunuchs in the Bible because it's fascinating. Uh, there are eunuchs in the Bible, and their place in Scripture is really complicated and interesting. In the Old Testament, eunuchs are not even allowed in the temple. They were considered spiritually uh, de- dejectable, and, and so therefore not in any way welcome to come into God's presence. But, but there were a lot of eunuchs in the ancient world. A, a eunuch was typically a man who's, who, who had been emasculated. Typically, the testicles were either crushed or removed, so that this person would not be able to function as a man. They were typically made eunuchs, though, understand this, before puberty. Typically before puberty. So what you have, therefore, is a boy who is never allowed to mature sexually and never able you know, fully to experience testosterone and everything that would make his body a man. So eunuchs in the ancient world were often very sexually ambiguous. They were what we would call gender-ambiguous kind of people. Now, interesting in Scripture, there are a number of people that were probably eunuchs that you never knew that. Uh, Nehemiah in Scripture was probably a eunuch. Uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because they were slaves, you know, captured and brought into the, to, to the pagan kingdom, most likely they were castrated before puberty as they were young boys. And, and that's why Daniel grows, of course, never has a wife, never has a family. Uh, the kings, the ancient kings, would often want uh, castrated boys in their, in, in their royal court for the reason that they felt like they could trust them. Because a, a, a eunuch would never, ever, of course, have a family, would never have any sort of sexual life. And so, therefore, the assumption was they would have nobody to be, to be uh, loyal to except the king. No wife, no family, no children, no anybody. So, anyway, eunuchs were very, very common in the ancient world. But these are... Sexually ambiguous men, sexually ambiguous people. If you're castrated before puberty, your voice never changes. You, you never grow a beard. You never develop muscles, that, that sort of thing. So, so understand what Jesus is pointing to here. In the ancient world, they were very familiar with eunuchs. We're not. That's why I'm just trying to give you that background. So understand what Jesus says in verse 12. The first thing. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others, and others choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom, is what he says. But it's that first statement. Some are born as eunuchs. Now, I don't know. I don't know how far we take that principle. But Jesus here at least admits the possibility that there's some people born sexually ambiguous. Now, on the one hand, you can't argue with that fact. It's a, it's a basic fact that there are babies that are born, and, and if you look at them, you can't tell. It's not very common, but y'all know this, that there are babies born with either sexual organs that belong to both male and female, so you don't know which they are, or there are babies that are born and their sexual parts aren't fully developed, or they have developed in such a way which makes it impossible for them to, to either identify as either male or female. I mean, y'all know that this is just true because it's just true. That there are babies born that way physically, physically sexually ambiguous. Now, that's not necessarily what we're talking about when we talk about a transgender person, though. 
Most of the time, a transgender person, it's, it's not a physical ambiguity, it's, a, it's an inward ambiguity. And this is where I know some of us begin to shut down, but, but listen to me, just listen to me. These are people who tell actual stories of, of, of real suffering. It's hard to live this way, but, but, but they say that they are, are born in such a way where even though the body looks male, they don't feel masculine. They don't feel like a man. And it's not just being a sissy. I'm not saying that. It's something deeper. It's a very deep confusion. It's a very deep anxiety. And, and transgender people will typically say it since the moment they were born. They never felt settled at all. If you, if you go to a psychiatrist or any kind of doctor, the, the word here is, is called gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. Euphoria means this wonderful feeling. Dysphoria means this horrible feeling. So gender dysphoria refers to people who have this horrible, unsettled feeling related to their gender. Now, I know some of us have never met anybody, never talked to anybody who would have experienced this, but, but you got to understand, you, you can't just think that these are people on television. Y'all, I'm talking about individuals who come through our congregation. I'm talking about members of your family. Not an issue, it's, it, 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 it's people. And all I'm saying is I think this principle in Scripture sort of allows for the fact that there can be people born with that kind of deep question at the very center of, of who they are. They don't know. They look in the mirror, they see one thing, but, but they don't feel like that on the inside. Again, the fact that they're born that way, I'm not saying that that means that, that, that there aren't moral choices to be made on the other side of that. I'm not saying that, that we don't have something to say about what a person does, but just want at least you to consider the possibility that what they're telling us is true. That there's something really inside, and it is, uh, it creates suffering. The transgender people that I've talked to talk about uh, just the desire to die. Just die. Because they don't understand. I mean, can you imagine being a child confused at this very center, this very core of who you are? I mean, not to know for sure if you're male or female. I mean, and have the world tell you one thing and your body to tell you one thing. These people kill themselves at a higher rate. I mean, do you know that? And all I know is that when they're suffering people, the people of God are supposed to run in their direction. They're not supposed to run away from people. We run two people, and, and these are just suffering people. Now, uh, you may disagree with, 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 with what I've said here, uh, but, but still, they're suffering people. You've got to address suffering people. You've got to help them in their suffering, right? So, what do you tell them? If this is your daughter, or your son, or your nephew, or a friend of one of your children, I mean, transgender person in your path, what, what will you tell them? What should they do? This, this dysphoria, this tension, it, it begs for resolution. I mean, something has to somehow relieve that suffering. What's it going to be? Now, of course, the world today, society has made this a, a top-shelf issue. And, and for the most part, society has one solution, and that is just simply to manipulate the body to fit the mind. We just change, we alter the body, and we'll do it early. We'll, we'll start giving children hormones and altering bodies. And 
I don't know, something about that just terrifies me. But that's the world. You just change the body to fit the mind. I, I, I don't know. Again, applying principles, I know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul talks so much about human sexual issues, I know that Paul's principle there, he repeats it over and over and over, is simply remain as you are, remain as you are, remain as you are. In other words, you need to find a way to be faithful to Christ, to his mission and work in your life. You remain as you are. Now, even Paul allows for exceptions in that chapter, but the basic principle is the same. Remain as you are. Don't try to change yourself. Don't try to change your status. Remain as you are. Something tells me that's an important principle, even now, even for those who struggle with transgenderism, transgender questions. Maybe the default, maybe the first response is to, is to remain as you are. I guess as a pastor, and now I'm just speaking as a pastor, if someone were to come to me and, and, I, and I'm trying to listen to and understand that suffering, that, that, that dysphoria, I think I would want to say, I, I think you'd have to manage this in the least invasive way possible. But honestly, what I'm going to say to any person who comes to me with any question, it really depends on whether or not they know Jesus or not. Whether or not that person is a believer. And this is where Jesus comes in. Understand, it's not that I've been keeping Jesus out. We know as the church, we know as God's people that Jesus is the answer. We know that. It doesn't even matter what the question is. Jesus is the answer. It's the answer. And in this world, as the people of God, we have to be the people who stand up and say, Jesus is the answer. You need to know Jesus. Whatever is broken, whatever is wrong with you, with me, Jesus is the one who fixes that. I can't fix myself. And what is truly out of place, what is truly unsettled, unsettled with me, I promise you, hormones, doctors, nobody can touch that. Jesus and Jesus alone can help us. Jesus and Jesus alone. He's always the answer. The problem, though, with the church is we're always telling people Jesus is the answer, but they don't really believe that we've heard the question yet. Before they believe us, when we say that Jesus is the answer, they have to somehow trust that we've heard the question, that we understand the question. And that's why I say with, with people who present transgender questions to us, we've got to at least demonstrate that we're willing to listen and understand the suffering and understand the question. So then when we talk about Jesus, maybe they'll trust that we understand something. Jesus is the answer. He's always the answer. If, if you are one of those people that has this kind of gender struggle, you've never talked to a soul about that most likely. And, and if you're older, you have just learned in your life how to uh, deal with that. I don't really know what it's like to be you. I, I just don't. But I know what it's like um, when what I think and what I feel doesn't necessarily match up with what I am and what I do. I relate to that. If, if you have spiritual issues around gender identity, understand these are spiritual issues. The questions that you ask are spiritual questions. You're asking, who am I? 
And how am I made? And, and how should I live? And who's going to love me? Understand, those are spiritual questions. Those are spiritual questions. And the answer to those questions are found in Jesus. I'm telling you. I don't know that hormones will answer that question for you. I, I don't know that an operation, upper or lower, is going to answer that question for you. It's a spiritual question. It's a soul question. Who are you? How are you made? How will you live? Who's going to love you? I need to tell you that God loves you. You need to know that God loves you. And you need to know that God loves you as you are. You need to know that. In churches like this, and we've, we've wrapped up nearly every service with a song called Just As I Am, and that was the promise, that you just come as you are. You just come as you are. God doesn't require that you figure this stuff out before you come to him. You just come to him as you are. Your salvation, the love of Jesus, none of it is dependent upon your ability to act like a man. It's not there. It's not dependent upon your ability to pull yourself together and please the church, folks. None of this is what we're talking about. Salvation is a matter of grace. And God's love is unconditional. You just come to Him. You just come to Him. He is the answer that you seek. You just come to Him. Just come to Him. I know that in our culture, the church has been very judgmental and the door has been closed to people who struggled sexually because we haven't known how to deal with people very well. We got to do better. We have to do better. Because understand, for those who struggle, the, the, the LGBTQ community is very welcoming, very affirming. But if you struggle in these ways, you have to understand, nobody in the world can, can tell you who you are. The LGBTQ community, they can't tell you who you are. The only person who can tell you who you are is the God who made you. Come to him. Did you understand? What I'm saying is very, very simply, you have to go back. Margie, will you take me back one more? You got to look for Jesus to find yourself. If it's yourself that you're trying to explore, if it's yourself that you want to know, if you want to understand how God made you and all of this, I'm, I'm telling you, the answer is not to go deeper and deeper in yourself. The further down you go into yourself, it's just more confusing. The answer is not in you. The answer is not down there. The answer is in Jesus. If you want to find yourself, the, the answer is to look for Jesus. You, you seek Christ. I'm just telling you, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your hang-up is or how you've been hurt. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you identify male or female. None of that matters. The gospel is the same for all of us. You just come to Jesus. You just come to Jesus. And in finding Jesus, you'll learn to find yourself. Because Jesus will tell you who you are. You will find your identity in Christ. Understand what the scriptures say, Galatians 3.28. This is kind of one of those mind-blowing verses when you really begin to understand what it says. We're talking to God's people now, those who find themselves in Christ. And this is what the scripture says about us. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. So that's racial distinction. There's no Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter what race you are. African American, black, white, Hispanic. None of that matters in Christ. It doesn't matter. Your race does not define you. All right? There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. That's social status. It doesn't matter if you're the boss or you're the low person on the totem pole. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor. Social distinctions make no difference. In the body of Christ, your social uh, level does not define you. 
None of that defines you. And guess what? There is no male or female. That's not what defines you. That's not the basis of your identity in Christ. Because when you come into relationship with Christ, he takes over. And your identity is now found in him. What is important now is that I'm in Christ. I belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to me. We are all one in Christ, Jesus. That's our identity. He is my identity. It's Christ who tells me who I am. So as we're out in the world preaching the message of Christ, understand our first concern is not, are you transgender? Are you male or female? That's not our concern. It doesn't matter. Are you living together and you're not married? It's not our concern. That's not your first concern. I'm not saying we don't have a moral voice. I'm not saying we don't have moral standards. I'm just saying when we got into the world, what matters is do you know Jesus or do you not know Jesus? Do you know Jesus or not? If you don't know Jesus, then our first conversation needs to be about Jesus. It's not about your gender. It's not about who you're with, how you're with them. It doesn't matter. What matters is you need to know Jesus. You come to Jesus And everything else about your life, he will begin to sort out. And that won't be my job. I mean, as a Christian, as a pastor, my my job is not to fix you. My my job is to point you to Jesus. There are a lot of hurting and confused and broken people in this world. They need Jesus more than anything else, more than they need for us to, to tell them how to live, more than they need us to, to tell them how to be a man, how to be what they just need us to tell them how to be Christian, how to know Jesus. The question raised by a person who struggles with gender is a very, very difficult question and delicate. But you know the answer, right? Jesus. Jesus. Before we tell them the answer, though, I I think they need to trust that we've at least listened to the question. And before we talk about Jesus, I I think they need to see us walking like Jesus. Let's be honest. As Christians, we haven't been very good at listening to people, and we haven't been very good at walking like Jesus. I think we weren't to listen and love them as Jesus loves, then when we talk about Jesus, I think they'll listen and he, he will save them. It's a hard question. The answer is still Jesus. Pray with me.